0: This is Jared O'Brien for the Christians Engaging Culture podcast. Christians Engaging Culture exists to equip Christians to give a faithful answer in everyday cultural conversations and to turn those conversations to the gospel. What is your view on whether children should be euthanized? Should children and teens who are suffering be able to request euthanasia? Or should parents be involved in the decision? In this week's episode, we listen to Albert Moller from his daily news review, The Briefing, from the 19th of October in 2018. He looks at policies relating to the euthanasia of children, which were being seriously considered by a Canadian paediatric hospital. We're thankful to Albert Moller and his team for allowing us to republish this audio here. You can find a link to the briefing website in the show notes.
1: This is Friday, October 19, 2018. I'm Albert Moeller, and this is The Briefing, a daily analysis of news and events from a Christian worldview. We have seen the culture of death extend its grip issue after issue, nation after nation, court decision after court decision, medical policy after policy. But now we are looking at the face of the culture of death staring at us with a radical intensity, right across the nation's northern border. Because the dateline of this story is not the Netherlands, it's not even Switzerland, it's not Belgium. It's rather Toronto in Canada. In an article published in Crux just a few days ago, we read, quote, In a prestigious medical journal, doctors from Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children have laid out policies and procedures for administering medically-assisted death to children— including scenarios where the parents would not be informed until after the child dies, end quote. Now, there is almost an intuition that comes to us in seeing an article like this that it can't be true. It can't be true that this kind of policy is being considered at a children's hospital in Toronto, Canada. It can't be true. Our intuition tells us that the proposed policy in anticipation of a formal review coming later this year would actually allow minors, that is those under age 18, to demand medically assisted suicide and to receive it even without informing the parents of the child. But that intuition would turn out to be wrong. That argument is exactly what is being made by three authorities who propose this new policy, which they want to be ready to be put in place once the Canadian government allows a review of the question of children and teenagers and assisted suicide by the end of this calendar year. The title of the article published at the Journal of Medical Ethics is this, Medical Assistance in Dying at a Pediatric Hospital. Now, as we have seen, the culture of death moves forward by saying, we're demanding this, we certainly aren't demanding that. No thinking moral person would ever demand that. But what's demanded now turns into the demand for what there was the denial of the demand when you had the first move towards euthanasia or assisted suicide. There's the distinction between voluntary and involuntary euthanasia. We have seen that line blurred. We have seen that boundary crossed. There is the distinction between active and passive euthanasia. We have seen that boundary crossed. And then, of course, we have talked on the briefing about the fact that in the Netherlands and proposed in other European nations as well, there is not only the legalization of assisted suicide and forms of euthanasia, but the age of those who might demand either euthanasia or physician-assisted suicide has been pressed lower and lower, such that there is now virtually no minimum age in at least the Netherlands, and potentially in some other countries as well. And yet we have held to the fact that certainly there must be some moral sanity on this continent. We saw, nevertheless, Canada's highest court rule that what is defined as medical assistance in dying must be legalized within that nation. We saw Canada's parliament and the government of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau respond with legislation and with policies in line with Canada's high court decision But we also saw that there were ambiguities, to no moral surprise, in Canada's response. For instance, it turns out, as this article in the Journal of Medical Ethics points out, that the Canadian government said that the right to demand medical assistance in dying was limited to adults. But in Canadian law, adult is not legally defined. As it turns out, putting the word adult in that policy could turn out to be virtually meaningless. And that is because this shift to absolute personal autonomy has now reached the point that in the sphere of Canadian medical ethics, a child is assumed to be competent as an autonomous individual unless there can be supplied some argument for why the child, adolescent or teenager, is not competent. Furthermore, in existing Canadian medical ethics, a child or a teenager is presumed to have a right of privacy, extending to medical treatments and even to issues of life and death that can allow the child or teenager to exclude family, including parents, even from informed knowledge of what is going on in medical treatment. The authors of this article, Medical Assistance in Dying at a Pediatric Hospital, go on to say, quote, this article is intended as a roadmap through the still-emerging legal and ethical landscape of pediatric MAID, that's Medical Assistance in Dying. It's really interesting how quickly they get to what it means to be a minor or an adult in Canada, where I read, quote, The term adult was not defined in the ruling, that is, a ruling that said that medical assistance in dying should be extended by the Canadian understanding of human rights to those identified as capable adults. But the word adult wasn't defined, and thus, quote, a vigorous debate quickly emerged regarding whether the term should be interpreted in a way that would allow capable young people to access medical assistance in dying, end quote. Nevertheless, even though the ambiguity is present in the current Canadian law and policy, at this point it is assumed that medical assistance in dying is restricted exclusively to patients who are 18 years or older. And yet, as this article makes very clear, the policy proposed in this document is intended as a roadmap to take medical assistance in dying, that is, physician-assisted suicide, all the way down the chronological spectrum from those who are 18 to those who are younger teenagers to older children. But you'll notice there's no lower limit. That would extend to children at any age unless there is some good argument whereby that child should be assumed not to be an autonomous individual capable of making those decisions on the child's own and even possessing a right to privacy so that family members, and particularly specifically parents, can't even be informed if the child does not want the parents informed. This academic article is breathtaking and horrifying in its candor. For instance, there are two different positions, two radically different moral positions that are articulated about the larger issue of medical assistance in dying. This comes from a Canadian perspective, but this logic is by no means restricted to Canada. Position A, they say, means that physician-assisted suicide is, quote, practically and ethically distinct from other medical procedures that result in the end of life. The position B would be the opposite. That would be that medical assistance in dying is, quote, practically and ethically equivalent to other medical procedures that result in the end of life, end quote. Now what becomes very clear is that this entire policy is predicated on that second argument. You say that's abstract. What difference does it make? Well, what we see here is a very significant boundary crossed. Because if you look at position A, that is the position that physician-assisted suicide is practically and ethically distinct from other medical procedures that result in the end of life, what you are underscoring is that physician-assisted suicide is different than merely declining medical care. That's what's urgent here. What is proposed in this policy is consistent with what's identified as position B. What does that mean? It means that physician-assisted suicide or medical assistance in dying would be classified as just another medical treatment without any major moral distinction between merely declining care. Let's put that in concrete terms. There are those who reach a point where they have every right to decline further care. This is true not only in some cases of advanced cancer, but many other diseases as well. And the Christian worldview says that there is no obligation for Christians to either propose that others undergo or undergo ourselves every possible medical treatment beyond what would be rightly defined as futility. The Christian worldview says that we should avail ourselves of every appropriate medical option, but that does not mean denying the reality of death and understanding that at some point medical futility might have been reached. But that is a passive act. That's an act declining further medical treatment. What's being proposed here is to make no distinction between that moral act and calling upon an artificial intervention, indeed calling for chemically-assisted, physician-supervised death. This article doesn't take up all that many pages in this prestigious medical journal, but nonetheless, it is dense with horrifying arguments. And one interesting twist, the author suggests that Canadian medical ethics professionals, the Canadian medical community, should rethink the fact that raising the issue of medically-assisted aid in dying should come from the patient rather than from medical professionals. They argue that in most medical situations, it would be doctors and other medical care providers who would raise options for treatment. Now they're suggesting that perhaps physicians and others ought to be able to raise with patients the possibility of medical assistance and dying. Now let's just think about what that means. That means a very subtle shift. Now, you might say, well, still, the patient would be the decider. The patient would be the autonomous individual making the decision. But understand what's going on here. The shift from so-called voluntary to involuntary euthanasia often comes without any declaration that that is what is happening. The shift from voluntary to involuntary is a shift in argumentation. And note how this happens. From the patient raising the issue to the physician raising the issue... And that means that then there comes the question, what ought I to do? The subtle shift is this. It's subtle but deadly. It is a shift from you ought to take medical treatment A to you ought to end your life as a duty to save your family, your loved ones, and the entire society from the burden of caring for you. The authors write, quote, scholarly and applied literatures are united in their presumption that conversations about medically assisted aid in dying will begin with a patient request, but then they continue. Here's this shift. Quote, this is diametrically opposed to the way virtually all other medical communication is structured, in which the onus is on healthcare providers to inform patients of the full range of medical options that are available to treat a particular condition. They continue, the positive ethical and legal obligation for clinicians to inform patients is important because it is a foundational building block. Listen to these words carefully, quote, of informed consent and autonomous decision making. In order for patients to make autonomous choices about their medical care, they must know the full range of options that are available to them. Healthcare providers are expected to be the medical experts, not patients, end quote that is a horrifying argument. We need to hear it in all of its horror. Here it is suggested that medical professionals should assist autonomous individuals in making autonomous choices by being very clear that they are the experts, that is the medical practitioners, and they are going to be informing the patient not only what the patient might do, but you know how this works. The patient then asks, what should I do? Whom might they ask but the medical professionals who declare themselves to be the experts? Speaking of the age of consent or the age at which persons are declared to be sufficiently autonomous and capable of demanding medical assistance in dying, the article says, quote, Young people can be and are found capable of making their own medical decisions even when those decisions may result in their death. The question facing our working group, they wrote, was should the same procedures and protections that govern capacity assessment for other medical practices that result in the end of life also apply to medical assistance in dying. Skip several paragraphs and you reach the scary conclusion, and I quote, Usually the family is intimately involved in this decision-making process. If, however, a capable patient explicitly indicates that they do not want their family members involved in their decision-making, Although healthcare providers may encourage the patients to reconsider and involve their family, ultimately the wishes of capable patients with respect to confidentiality must be respected. If we regard medical assistance in dying as practically and ethically equivalent to other medical decisions that result in the end of life, then confidentiality regarding medical assistance in dying should be managed in this same way, end quote. Yes, you heard that right. They're saying that children and young people should be increasingly recognized as autonomous individuals competent and capable of making decisions about ending their own lives. They're saying that medical experts should be able to take the initiative even in presenting assisted suicide as an option. And they are saying that increasingly these children and young people should be seen as being sufficiently autonomous, capable and competent that they can do so in privacy, even excluding their own parents. By the time they reach the end of their article, the authors are suggesting that the article itself and their general approach means that they want to discuss these issues in public before the Canadian people because they want the conversation to begin and thus to advance to be ready for the government's review of this question that at least begins formally by the end of this calendar year. This is where Christians have to understand that it's not just the sanctity of human life that's at stake here. Of course, that's the most fundamental issue. But behind the sanctity of human life are all these shifts that have taken place in the worldview in our secular age. The redefinition of what it means to be human in terms of an absolute personal autonomy, able to define for ourselves, even when we will live and when we will die. And then extending that idea of personal autonomy... First of all, to those who are 18 and older, but then to those who are under 18, eventually to younger teenagers, eventually even to children. And then extending beyond that, the idea that these autonomous, capable, competent individuals, regardless of age, can have all these decisions made and even the consultations conducted without reference to parents. That's the total package here. And we're staring reality in the face. We're not looking even across the Atlantic at Europe. We're looking across America's northern border at Toronto. And remember that the name of this historic hospital in Toronto is the Hospital for Sick Children. But you'll notice how all that would be redefined by this proposed policy if indeed it takes the shape. All this tells us of major shifts that take place in a society that begins intentionally to distance itself, to unmoor itself from its historic biblical worldview that made that very same civilization possible. We see a society that increasingly wants to redefine what it means to be human in solely, exclusively humanistic terms, in anthropological terms, in self-defining terms, in secular terms. But as we have to warn ourselves over and over again, life is not only threatened at the beginning with abortion and at the end now with euthanasia and assisted suicide. It's threatened at every point along the continuum by a worldview that denies the reality that every single human being at every point along that continuum has a life that is sacred and valuable because of the creator who made us in his image when you shift to a secular worldview, then you have already begun the inevitable process of negotiating when human life matters and when it doesn't, when human dignity exists and when it doesn't, to what degree it exists and then it doesn't. The policy proposed in this journal article is exactly the kind of policy that those who originally demanded physician-assisted suicide said would be morally unthinkable. It didn't stay morally unthinkable for long. Remember that the next time you're told that the next step is morally unthinkable because it too, in this age rebelling against all reason, it won't stay unthinkable for long.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Christians Engaging Culture. Make sure you check out our website for more resources on the topic of euthanasia. And until next time, Always remember that Jesus is a far greater saviour than you are a sinner.